It is good to see each of you here this morning. I'm glad that you got up and made the choice to be in the Lord's house. Hang on to your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, as we gather together. I want to remind you, as the church, the body of Christ, we exist, first and foremost, to bring God glory and to make disciples as we gladly spend our lives together to see that gospel transform the next generation. In Philippians 2, as we get back to our preaching teaching series, we're going to see an example from two guys who were ordinary guys who lived out gladly spending their lives for the sake of the gospel. And so these two servants in Philippians 2, 19 through 30, are Timothy and Epaphroditus. And as we see that passage, beginning with verse 19 to verse 30, it is most likely that out of all the favorite and powerful uh, Bible verses that are noted in Philippians, your favorite verse is not in this passage. In fact, this one's a little bit strange. We're, we're tempted to read through it quickly just to get to chapter 3. Uh, we're tempted to maybe skip reading it at all. It's kind of like when you're reading the Bible through and you get in Leviticus or Numbers are you reading through genealogies and you're trying to figure out how to pronounce these things or you get tired of someone begat so-and-so and they begat so-and-so and on and on again? You kind of look at them and say, God, I don't understand why this is in here. I don't understand the poetry side of, of Scripture at times. I don't understand the historical narrative. And sometimes there's some hard plowing in reading Scripture. And so there are passages that are our favorite, that, that are powerful and meaningful to us. And then there are some that's just tough plowing. But I want us to understand some things about Scripture because this passage in Philippians may be the more unfamiliar or less loved passages as far as where our favorite verses are found, but it has power. And I want us to understand that and push pause for a minute, and I want to do two things. First of all, understand the truth about God's Word. Secondly, we're going to linger long enough in Philippians 2, 19 through 30 to unpack what in the world is Paul really doing in this passage and how in the world does it apply to us today here on October the 1st, 2023. First of all, the truth. Understand when we come across passages that are difficult, hard to understand, or not our favorites, we must remember Paul's words to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Literally, God breathed. Scripture is profitable, all of it, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so remember, when we get to these passages that are less familiar, that this too is inspired, God breathed. The Bible was indeed written by human authors, about 40 of them over about 1,500 years, who were men of God, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. We say in our own confession of faith, Baptist Faith and Message 2000, that the Bible has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. In other words, every word, every word form, and every placement of those words in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is given by inspiration of God. Two words I want you to hang on to, verbal and plenary. 
Verbal means that every word of Scripture is God-breathed, every single word, not just an idea of the words. It's in the Bible as God intended it. Plenary simply means complete or full, which tells us that all parts of the Bible are equally divine and equally authoritative. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, when Paul's talking about his travel itinerary for Timothy and Epaphroditus, and we want to read right over it and say, how does that apply to us? We need to remember this is given by God the way he wanted it in order to communicate with you and I even today. Secondly, we want to understand that Paul is doing more than just writing travel plans. We realize that letters were ways of communication back in his day. In fact, they went with a messenger who had to travel and travel from one place to another. In this this instance, it's a messenger going either from Paul to Philippi or Philippi to Paul. It's about an 800-mile trek. And so we see Paul communicating to believers who are 800 miles away in the form of a letter through a messenger that he's going to send back to them whom they first sent to him, the messenger Epaphroditus. But it's more than just communication. Paul is presenting two guys as living examples of everything that he's talked about in the last two chapters. These guys are partners with him in the gospel mission. These guys get it right when they share compassion for the body of Christ, the people of God. These guys are experiencing a growing love that is abounding in their life more and more. These guys are learning and living what it means to walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. These guys are ordinary guys whom the, who are known by the believers in Philippi who are not living their life with selfish ambition or doing things for vain glory to promote themselves. These guys are working hard to adopt the mind of Christ in Philippians 2.5, which is that mind of humility. These guys illustrate how in the world do you work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, and how in the world do you do it all without complaining? And so here's what Paul's done. He's held up Christ as the supreme example of humility. And he said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Now, here's our temptation. I hear you, Paul, but that's Jesus. He could do that. Selfless love, sacrificial love, esteeming others. But that's Jesus and not me. Paul would even say, here's my example. I am being poured out for your sake like a drink offering poured out on an altar. I am investing my life, pouring my life out for the sake of the gospel. We might say along with them, but Paul, that's you. You're kind of the super apostle. You're the greatest missionary on the face of the earth. That's you, not me. But then Paul says, hey, there's Timothy and there's Epaphroditus, two guys from among you, imperfect, but gospel servants, worthy to know, but worthy to follow after as well. So what Paul is doing in this is not uh, just travel plans, not just communication. He's saying, hey, I want you to be inspired based upon the admonitions, the commands that I've given you to follow after Christ. Look at these guys, learn from them, and follow their example as we unpack this passage together. And so, yes, they are guides, 
Part of our measures, what is a disciple? A guide who leverages influence to point others to Christ. They're living it out. So let's read about them. Philippians 2, verse 19, invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able to do that and uh, read along with us. I want to welcome those who are joining us online and hope that you can be here in person very soon. Look at verse 19. Paul said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus. And when he says that phrase, I trust in the Lord Jesus, it's kind of like you and I saying, well, if the Lord wills. The Lord willing, this is going to happen. Paul doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Paul doesn't know if he's going to be released or if he's going to be condemned to death. He's under house arrest. He said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. No one like Timothy, in other words. For all seek their own, not the things that are of Christ Jesus. But you know his, Timothy's proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. He is known by them. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord, there it is again, that I myself shall come also, shall come shortly. Then he changes gears, verse 25, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who has ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly, or before Timothy, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness or joy, and hold such men plural, and high esteem, because for their work of Christ, for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Two gospel servants who are living examples, even for us today, of how to follow after Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see and our minds to understand how the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus can guide our steps to be faithful gospel servants. Show us the way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you're being seated, consider this phrase. How would you complete this statement? When I grow up, I want to be like blank. When I grow up, I want to be like blank. Now, when I was a student in high school, I would give you an athlete in that blank and say, when I grow up, I'm going to be like this baseball player, whatever it was. But let's think spiritually. When I grow up, I want to be like blank. Who are some of those spiritual figures in your life, mentors, examples that you hold in high esteem, that you say, man, I hope I can be that person when I grow up? Uh, we know that the, the right answer ultimately is that when we grow up, we want to be like Jesus, amen? 
That is the purpose of our sanctification, to grow up day by day in the likeness of Christ in our character and conduct. One day we will achieve that glorification and be like Jesus. But until then, we have heroes, we have mentors, we have living examples. And I can tell you some of mine, when I grow up, I want to be like Wayne Honeycutt. This church family knows him. Why? He is selfless. He's the energizer bunny, just keeps on going. He may move a little slower, but he hadn't ever stopped. And he is a bold messenger of Christ. I marvel, and I look at him. Hey, when I feel like complaining, I look at Wayne, and I don't complain. Because he has no excuses. He's just faithfully serving the Lord. And I've kind of tongue-in-cheek often said, when I grow up, I want to be like Wayne Honeycutt. But that's really, he's one of my heroes. I want to be like Wayne. Of course, my dad is, is my favorite hero on the face of the earth. So I can say when I grow up, I want to be like my dad. He's a preacher uh, in the gospel ministry. He's 83 years old and he hasn't stopped yet. He may have retired, but he's, that preacher's keeping on preaching. But to me, the older he gets, the greater the clarity of what in the world does it look like to live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Even when older age has its own challenges, even when things are hardships in your life, how do you live out your faith for God's glory? He's one of my heroes. I, I look up to him. Some of us in our church family might start thinking about people, Janice Chesser, leader of Widow's Might Ministry. She's a hero. She's a gospel servant. Uh, we might think of, of others like Shirley Miller, and we give some examples. Now, these aren't people on a pedestal. These aren't people who've got it all together and have no imperfections. They're just from among us. They're you and me. So here's the question. Who is looking at you? And will someone say, when I grow up, I want to be like you? The reality is there are people looking at you and watching you, particularly in the home and your neighbors and your church family. The question is, if they follow after you, are they going to be following after Jesus? Paul says, I got two guys I want you to remember, Timothy and Epaphroditus. I want you to look to them because if you look and learn from them, you're going to be following after Christ. And so there are three takeaways that I want to share with you in the passage that we read that talk about gospel servants and hold up Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples. Number one, on your notes, if you have the out pulled up or printed notes, or if you want to just take notes, this is number one, gospel servants care about right things. They think right things. Therefore, they care about right things. In Paul's own life, Paul modeled a joyful, selfless, and sacrificial investment for others for the sake of the gospel. As the apostle poured his life out for others, believers in Philippi, to Timothy, as well as Epaphroditus, he understood that my offering is not really to people, but my offering is to my Savior. It is to the Lord. 
And as I offer myself to the Lord, I get the privilege of doing what he's called me to do, and that's invest in others to show love of Christ to the people around me. That's why he could rejoice always, even under house arrest in Rome, even under hardship. Paul says, I rejoice. Why? Because I'm living out my life for the sake of others. That Roman guard beside me, he's going to hear the gospel. So I rejoice. Those who are preaching, even for impure motives, if the true gospel is being preached, I'm going to rejoice. Whether or not Caesar says I can go or I have to die, I can rejoice. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is what for Paul? He said it's gain. I get to see Jesus face to face. So like Paul, his mentor and model, now Timothy second-generation disciple, is a trustworthy example for other believers to follow. Paul tells the church that he's not sending Timothy right away. Don't know why he implied that other than they thought he was coming soon. Maybe the church was expecting that. Timothy might be waiting on what's going to happen to Paul. They might have been expecting a verdict pretty soon. Paul indicated, the Lord willing... I trust in the Lord that if I'm released, if all goes well and favorable to me, I'm going to come shortly after Timothy. One of Paul's reasons for sending Timothy to Philippi was two-way communication. Look at verse 19. Paul said that as I send him and then implied that he comes back to me, that I may be encouraged by your state of affairs. As I send Timothy 800 miles to give you a report on how things are here. The expectation is that Timothy is going to travel that 800 miles back and give me a report on how you do it. And I anticipate to be encouraged by that report. And so Paul is commending Timothy to them, saying he's coming, but not yet. Uh, Timothy is somebody that they knew. Acts 16 remembers the background of the beginning of the church at Philippi. Timothy was there. But Paul said something unique about Timothy. He said that there's no one else like-minded like he is. Verse 20, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Gospel servants care for right things. Timothy wasn't about position. Timothy wasn't about power. Timothy was not self-promoting. Timothy genuinely cared for others. And the reason Timothy genuinely cared for others is he understood the love of God in his life. He understood the grace of God. Coming from the background that he came from, he could see the grace of God. And so Timothy learned from Jesus, but he learned from Paul specifically in a mentoring relationship that, that I live my life for a bigger purpose, and that is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do that by having compassion on others, esteeming them more significant than me. And I do that by relationship, companionship with them. Paul modeled that for Timothy. Paul holds Timothy up as, on, as one that I know. If I send him, he comes with right motives. He comes thinking of right things. He cares about what is most important. You know what's most important to Paul and Philippi? People who are brothers and sisters in Christ. People want to know how you're doing. How's your mama? How's your dad? How are the kids? I want to know how you are doing. 
just wonder as we seek to live life together and we're members in life group, do we come across to others as being genuinely concerned about them? Eyeball to eyeball. Present in the moment at the conversation. How are you doing? Paul was that kind of guy. Paul did that for Timothy. Timothy, how are you doing? You got fear? Man, let me encourage you. Don't let that fear paralyze you, man. You haven't been called to fear. Timothy, don't let those wolves come and attack you. Stand strong, bold, in truth. Timothy, don't let no anyone despise you because of your youthfulness. You are a man of God empowered by the Spirit of God. You get it, right? As Paul, one-on-one with Timothy, began to mentor him and disciple him, and the whole goal of discipleship is reproduction. We say multiplication today, but disciples making disciples who make what? Paul was a follower of Christ. He poured into a person because he genuinely cared about him, and that person was Timothy. Now, Timothy is pouring into others as a result, and Paul's commissioning him to go. And that is a beautiful picture of gospel servants who care about the right things. He said, Timothy has the right interest in mind. There are others who seek their own interests. Sounds like a lot of us, doesn't it? By nature, we're selfish. And unless we do something intentional every day to renew our minds and change the way our natural thought process goes, we're going to do it for me, myself, and I. We're going to be self-centered. I will serve as long as it's convenient. I will give as long as it doesn't cost. I will follow as long as it's easy. But there's a greater call, and Paul demonstrated that to Timothy. Now Timothy's being sent and will be sent to the believers at Philippi as one who has their best interest in mind. May we pursue the same type of compassion that flows out of a heart that is devoted to Christ. The only way that we're going to treat others that way, care about right things, is when we show up and we surrender before our Lord and our Master, our King, and as we make ourselves available to him. We know he gave his all for us. We know by his shed blood we're set free. And then we're compelled to go and do as he has done for us. To love others. To have mercy on them. To express grace to them. To point them to a relationship. Paul says next, he said, but you know his proven character. You know Timothy. You know his character. Because he served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Paul is not his biological father, but he's his spiritual father. He's the one who mentored him. Timothy was not just merely a volunteer in an organization. He was Paul's son in the faith. He meant much to Paul, and Paul is sending him out to love on these believers and communicate with them. The striking note about that companionship of Timothy is highlighted next. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things are going with me. Did you get it? Companionship. Why is Timothy there with Paul? Praying with him, encouraging him, nurturing him. Maybe needs he had that Paul couldn't get out. Timothy could bring things in. Timothy was there, and Paul was saying, I know you believe uh, you expect Timothy to come soon. He's not coming yet. He will come. I need him here with me, nurturing me at the moment. When things turn out for me, Lord willing, that, that, that they're favorable, then Timothy's going to come your way. 
And hopefully, Lord willing, I'm going to come shortly after. And so Paul's doing far more than just travel itinerary and communication. What made Timothy that great companion for Paul is that he selflessly served him, sacrificially gave time, gave talent, may have given his treasure. Just a question, as we think about Timothy and the way he's investing in others, do you have any friends like that? Is there a Timothy in your life? Somebody that that you know you can call at 2 o'clock in the morning? Someone that is investing right things in you? Someone that's willing to speak the God-honest truth to you? That relationship about right things. The other question is, are you a Timothy to anyone? Do you care for others as Christ would care for them? That means being present, speaking truth, strengthening them in weakness, praying for them in crisis, and and rejoicing with them in victories, providing support, providing resources. We call live life together, and we do that well in life groups. Life groups, if you're, if you're not engaged, you need to be in a life group. The goal there is to get to know one another, to live life together spiritually, to be able to be encouraged by one another, to be able to be spurred on by one another, to be able to have a, an, an army of believers around you that you know love you and genuinely care about you. Yes, we want life groups to grow deep in the Word of God, but we want life groups to grow relationships in Christ as one another, um, and, and we love one another, and we serve one another, and we forgive one another, and we uphold one another, esteem one another. So are we thinking right things? Do we care about the right things? Is the gospel mission a priority in our life? Do we think about a bigger purpose when we wake up in the morning? Does it, inv- does it impact how we invest time, talent, and treasure? Are we willing to sacrifice for the well-being of others spiritually? Hello. Are we willing to sacrifice for the spiritual well-being of others? Sacrifice your time for serve. Sacrifice your treasure, giving to a gospel mission. Sacrifice your talent and investing in others. Gospel conversations when it's awkward. Let's move on. Number two. Paul changes gears in verse 25. Gospel servants fulfill their calling even through hardship. He said, look at Epaphroditus. He is one who endured hardship. He almost died doing what you commissioned him to do, coming to me with a gift and with a greeting. The church probably anticipated that Epaphroditus would make it to Paul and hang out there a while, minister to him. But Paul says, I'm going to send him back first. Why? Because he became very ill, almost to death. We don't know what the sickness was. We don't know how he was cured other than the phrase, but God had mercy on him. That's good news, isn't it? God had mercy on him. Do you know God has had mercy on you and me? Sinners deserving of death and hell. Sinners hopeless to save ourselves, but God loved us while we were yet sinners. God gave his only son who died in our place and shed his blood so that we could be redeemed by the blood of the lamb and become a new creation in Christ. 
but God had mercy on him. In Epaphroditus' trek, we understand that being faithful to the Lord sometimes is difficult. You might face some hardship. He got sick, almost to the point of death. Temptation, go back home. But he didn't. He kept going to Paul. And he made it. Here's what he learned, I believe, that in our weakness... When we are running after Jesus and when we're walking in obedience in the mission, He is our strength when we're exhausted. He is our strength when we're physically struggling. He is our strength when we don't feel like we can do what He's called us to do. Our strength is in Christ. And Epaphroditus understood that and he didn't give up because of that. He exemplifies a spirit of sacrifice for the sake of Christ He did not seek public acclaim. He did not seek prominence or an office or greater talents. In fact, Epaphroditus was kind of an unknown. Many say he was a layperson. He was not an elder like Timothy. He was not an apostle like Paul. He was just one of us. He was just a normal church member who had a mission and was faithful to the mission even through hardship. And so Paul is holding him up and saying, here is one of your own. Not a spiritual leader. He's not a life group leader necessarily. He's not a deacon. He's not one of your pastors. He's just a faithful gospel servant. And look at what he did in order to make sure the mission was fulfilled. There are five descriptions of Epaphroditus in verse 25. Paul said, he's my brother. And that's significant. This is the apostle saying, this guy, this lay person is my brother. You know how we become brothers and sisters, right? When we are born again, when we become Christians, we are born by one spirit into one family called the body of Christ. So you can look around you and those who are in Christ are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul's saying, Epaphroditus, he may not have a title, he may not be on staff, he may not be a deacon, he may not have any position of authority, but he's my brother, he's my family, and he's also not only my brother, but he's my fellow worker. He is a partner in the gospel. Here's the apostle saying this lay person, this guy with no titles, no special significance, relatively unknown He is equal in the mission. He he has a place of serve, and he's faithful, but he's my fellow worker, partner in the gospel ministry, but also my fellow soldier. I will go arm in arm, toe to toe with my brother Epaphroditus as we battle, not against one another, but against the enemy, and we battle against the lostness of the culture around us. He is my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, but he's your messenger, the one that you sent. And he's your messenger, the one who ministered to my need. Hey, he made it. In spite of almost dying, he made it, brought the gift financially, but he brought your greeting. What meant more to the Apostle Paul was not the financial gift, however much it was. It was the personal relationship of Epaphroditus as well as the believers in Philippi. People. 
And Paul says that meant much to me. He said that after he got there, Epaphroditus became distressed. That word is used other places in Scripture, and it describes a deep anguish, that of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, pouring out his heart right before the cross. Anguish. Even with death at his doorstep, Epaphroditus, like Jesus, is not concerned about his own well-being. He's concerned about others. You know what distressed him? Not that he got sick. What distressed him is that those believers somehow, some way, heard that he was ill and they were worried about him. And he was worried that they were worried. And he wanted to go back. He must have been driving Paul crazy. He said, I want, I'm going to send him back to you. Go send him back quicker than you think. I'm going to send him back so that I can have some sanity. You did catch it, right? He said, since he's longing for you all, was distressed because you heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. If my brother had died, that's just insult to injury as I sit here under house arrest in Rome. But God had mercy on me by sparing him, and God had mercy on him. And now I want to send him back to you so that you know that he is okay. The significant thing Paul was, to Paul was that his recovery, that of Epaphroditus, was due to the sovereign act of a merciful God. How do we respond when sacrifice for the gospel mission is required? Do we tap out because it's no longer convenient? Do we withdraw because we don't feel good? On and on we can go, but Epaphroditus, come what may, even the investment of my physical life, I'm going to fall forward for the sake of the gospel. I'm moving on toward Rome. That's my mission. Number three, here's what Paul encouraged these believers to do in Philippi. Gospel servants are worthy of honor. Two instructions to the believers in Philippi regarding Epaphroditus. Receive him and the Lord with all joy, with all gladness. Receive him. Welcome him. Mission accomplished. He got it. He did it. He's coming back to you sooner, but he did not neglect me. Receive him in the Lord. What does that mean? As you would receive Christ himself. Receive him in the Lord with joy because this messenger was faithful to the mission. Receive him with joy and hold him as well as Timothy in honor, in esteem. What does that mean? Esteem those who sacrificially give themselves for the sake of others. Hold them in honor. Tell you what we need to be doing in our life group at times? Celebrating some wins. And when somebody gets a win, I had a spiritual conversation this week. Celebrate that. Well done. Encourage, inspire. When somebody has a gospel conversation with a neighbor that is, is outside of Christ, celebrate that. When someone was able to come alongside and minister to someone in need or hurting or just pray with someone and be an encourager, let's celebrate that. We need to celebrate when so we can encourage one another. That's part of honor. It's not lifting up on a pedestal and saying, oh, look at me. But it's saying, by God's grace and in his mercy, I was able to represent Christ here. Hands and feet.
words pointing them to the gospel. In reality, the church has always through the years been sustained and enriched, built up by unsung heroes. Just ordinary people. So don't get the impression, dear church, that you don't have an important role to play in your church. You do. Not to make us feel better, but because your Savior died and shed His blood to rescue you and redeem you, and God in His grace placed His Spirit inside of you who gave you gifts to serve the body of Christ as we go about the mission He's called us to do. Serving others will cost you, but it's worth it. The call to put the needs of others above your own would mean that you might have to change your schedule this week. You willing to do that? You might have to travel somewhere you didn't plan on going. You might not feel well on the journey as you have to minister to others even through your weakness. You might have to open your home. Maybe you might have to open your wallet. You might encounter great conflict or pushback or opposition. But if we're going to follow after the model servants like Timothy and Paphroditus and Paul who are following Jesus' example, then we must acknowledge that the Christian life does indeed involve sacrifice. Question, am I willing to count the cost? Gospel servants are going to sacrifice. Any ministry without sacrifice is not a ministry worth a lot. Any mission without sacrifice is not worth a lot. What kind of gospel servant are you? Do you care about the right things? Are you willing to persevere even when it's not easy? When you have to count the cost? Remember this. Gospel servants are worthy of honor. Not just among our peers, but when we stand before our Savior. Just to long to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. If you're not where you know you need to be as a gospel servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you need to do to change? It might be visit the next step table, ask questions. It might be, hey, I don't know what I can do. I don't know if you can use me, but I'm available. Here am I. By the way, there's no retirement plan in the kingdom i.e. Wayne Honeycutt, i.e. Henry Cox, 83 years old, and he's preached in First Baptist Century last week. If you're not dead, God's not done, so what are you doing for His glory? What do you need to do? We can't be a gospel servant unless we know the Savior of the gospel. Maybe you're here today and you're asking questions Longing for more than religion, longing more than what you've known so far, you're empty inside. There is a Savior with open arms. The same one who gave his life on a cross and shed his blood was buried and rose again. He lives today forevermore. He can save you to the uttermost. Nothing you have done that is outside his cleansing effect. And none of us are so good that we don't need him. Come to Jesus. May God rise up within Liberty Baptist Church, gospel servants who serve for His glory in the body and we can send for His glory as He directs. Let's pray together. Father, we ask...
that you guide our thoughts as we consider where we stand. Father, I thank you that Paul was wise and sensitive to your Holy Spirit to lift up a Timothy and Epaphroditus, those who are from among us. Say, hey, guys, you may be intimidated by Christ, the perfect example. I recognize you could be intimidated by me. Here's two guys of your own. They got it. They're imperfect. They don't always get it right. But more times than not, they are living out what they say they believe. They are investing their life in the gospel mission. Follow them. Father, I pray that you will grow every one of us in this place this morning to live out our life as an example so that there might be somebody coming behind us that can say, I want to be like them because I see Jesus and how they live their life. I want to be like them because they took time to invest in me. I want to be like them because they really genuinely cared for my needs. I want to be like them because they prayed often and fervently for me. I want to be like them because they visited me and didn't forget about me. They cried with me. They rejoiced with me. I want to be like them. Because I believe if I follow their example, I will follow after Christ. Grow us to be someone's example today. It is in the mighty name of Jesus I pray. Amen.